Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Well, I always like providing what I hope is a platform for conversations and for people who are doing what I think are, are meaningful things in education and really to support just humans of all shapes, sizes, ages, backgrounds. Um, and I'm looking forward to this conversation with co-founder and CEO of Education Modified, Melissa Cordo. Um, Melissa, your background in education, obviously being an educator and now sort of transitioning right into the uh, the business side and the provider side, um, I think is in- incredibly important and interesting for those out there that are thinking about it. They want to understand the difference between solutions that come from an educator background. Um, tell me a little bit about, as we get to know you and Education Modified, tell me the why. Let's, let's start diving right in as to the why, not about Education Modified, but the why in the let me transition from the classroom to the, to the, to the office. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, uh, biggest catalysts for the transition was Realizing that, you know, staying in the classroom and, and working with individual students um, on a day to day basis while was was definitely one of the highlights of my life and my career um, wasn't wasn't um, conducive to making big systems change. And that um, no matter how much work I did in the classroom or at the building level, um, there were big systemic problems that needed to be addressed um, and really brought to light in order to make differences um, in the lives of individual students. And so, you know, the the work that my co-founder and I um, were doing at the time, we were mentoring new special educators that were coming into the profession through a teacher residency program. And, you know, we showed up to a meeting one day, both creating these huge binders of, of information and, and resources. And, you know, I looked at her and she looked at me and she was like, how long did it take you to, to make that? And I was like, hours. And she was like, me too. And I was like, well, this is a colossal waste of time. <laughs> why are we both, why are we both doing this? Um, and so, you know, we just had a lot of conversations around that and just thought, you know, there had, there had to be a better way, not only for training new special educators, but, but really providing teachers with the, the power that, that they needed to, to make, you know, the, the difference they were looking to make in the lives of students. Okay. So, but. There has to be something there in your DNA, in your background, because there are millions of people that might make that observation that this is a colossal waste of time. We've all seen the classic notebooks, right? We've had, we've listened to keynoters talk about, you know, them being collecting dust on our shelves, these sorts of things, but something in you said, okay, well, let's actually do something about that. So help me understand that. What was that? Is that always been a part of you? Were you that kid that would do that, would see something and say, I'm going to make a difference or I'm going to take something on? Like you have to be okay with risk and also with failure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things um, from my background that definitely uh, support that type of um, both both risk taking, but also the confidence and in, in thinking that I can make a change. You know, both my parents are teachers. Um, they're both coaches as well. My mom is a, a basketball coach and my dad was a football coach. Um, and, you know, just the sort of mentality that they instilled in in myself and in my my siblings that, you know, you can do things, you can make a real difference with with your time and, and with your energy and, um, you know, dedicating um yeah, your your time and energy into something that that means something, I think, was definitely part of it. 
I mean, there was a, a lot of a lot of doubt, but, um, you know, there was it was a risk I was willing to take because I just, you know, at that point, I had been in the classroom for seven or eight years um, and, and watched a lot of students, you know, really, really fall through the cracks, no matter how hard I worked or how hard I tried. Um, I think that there was, um, yeah, that that need to really to really want to make a difference and, and make something better. Right. Seeing a problem and not. And not having a solution is definitely, I think, part of my personality, right? Like, it's seeing a problem. There's got to be an answer. Like, we, even if it's difficult, we have to find a, a solution. Um, paint, paint that picture for me, Melissa, when, when yeah. doubt creeps in. What, what is, how do you handle doubt? What's your relationship with doubt? Yeah, I think doubt is a really powerful tool um, to be able to stay grounded. Um, I think there's a difference between um, doubt and, and questions um, versus fear. Um, I think those are two very different things. And I think doubt can be used as a tool, right? Why, why do I have this doubt? What are the, what are the actual risks? Um, you know, what are the steps that, that can be taken to, to mitigate these risks? Um, versus fear, you know, living, living in fear, I think is a, is a different thing. Um, so yeah, usually when, when doubt creeps in, which, you know, there's definitely a lot of that in, in running a company. Um, I, I always go back to the, the impact that we do make. Um, I look at a lot of our, our usage metrics um, on a daily basis and, you know, say, well, yeah, no, teachers are using our platform. They report back all the time. This is helping them. And so I kind of try to keep keep that North Star. Um, and every time, yeah, doubt creeps in, just go back to, to the foundation of what we're doing and why we're doing it and just knowing that we can mitigate risks along the way and just do the best that we can. All right. So let, let's let's talk about mitigating risk and diving into uh, education modified. So as a backdrop, you made me I just had a memory as you were talking and thinking about, you know, that gap in time when you and your co-founder realized, all right, we have an issue here. <laughs> we're destroying trees with all the paper that we're putting together in this binder. One and two, it is a colossal waste of time using your words um, between that. And then starting a company and understanding what in the world you're selling, what you're offering. Is it different? Are other people doing it? I remember, I don't remember what grade it was, but I think a lot of kids have gone through this in elementary school. There was some project where you had to invent something, right? Well, I had this great fear of failure. So, <laughs> you know, young me didn't come up with something wild and, and crazy. Um, it was something, it was like a, a portable vacuum that, oh, by the way, existed already. You know, it was like a handheld kind of a thing. And I remember being in class thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't find anything interesting. My classmates had done stuff that you would have, you know, sort of bonkers, right? But they dove head first, right? And so I think when we're starting a company, we're thinking about this. There is that doubt that can creep in that says, I don't know, is this different? Are people going to want it? Is there a need for it? How do I communicate that? Take me behind the scenes with your co-founder in those conversations, because it's one thing to identify a problem and a need. It's a, an entirely different, I think, platform of, of opportunity to then say, here's what we're going to do about it. Yeah, absolutely. It, and it's interesting that you say that because the very first thing that we did was that we spent about two to three weeks just researching. Okay, is there anyone out there that's doing X? Is there anyone out there that's doing Y? What actually exists already to try to tackle some of these problems? Um, and we came back together and, you know, we met on, you know, a weekly basis and saying, okay, well, I found this organization that just does content or I found this company that's maybe trying to tackle IEP goals um, in isolation. And so we, that was the very first thing that we did. We did a ton of research and tried to find everything and anything that we possibly could that 
already existed. And we didn't find um, what we had envisioned in our head for education modified. And, and when you speak about the research, because I want people to understand exactly what you are offering, talk about, and I think we talked about this off air previously, my understanding is it, I should say this. I would think that you looked into other disciplines to see how they were handling everything from documenting records, right, to communicating that and keeping that either safe and or usable, right, um, actionable. Talk about just sort of going outside of education to understand what was available, how that was experienced and accepted, I guess, by the masses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there were, there were two sort of industries that we definitely looked at, um, a lot. And that was the medical industry was one of just like, okay, well, how are we transferring medical records from year to year, person to person or provider to provider? Um, and you know, there, there aren't a lot of great solutions. That is another big, huge, hairy industry that has a lot of issues and a lot of red tape and is also very bureaucratic. Um, we looked at that. And then we also just looked at um, content curating, uh, like more consumer facing applications. You know, we looked at uh, platforms like Evernote and Pinterest. And uh, there was a, a company or a platform at the time, I think it was called like Springboard, of like how, how are people curating their own content that they want for other things, like simple things like recipes or event planning. And like, how do you curate and, and um yeah, and uh, organize that information for your own self. And so we looked at sort of both both of those two angles to see like, okay, from a record keeping perspective and documentation and security, but then also for like teacher practice and, and pedagogy, right, of like, how do teachers want to access and organize their own information? Because Teaching is both an, an art and a science. And so teachers have their own, um, you know, unique spin on how they deliver content, how they um, instruct students, how they provide individualized instruction or differentiated instruction. And so part of, you know, um, becoming a teacher is, is creating your own toolbox, if you will, of strategies and best practices and resources and things you go back to all the time. And so how would teachers want to collect or curate that information? And one of the things we found was that, you know, they don't have time to do that themselves. And so providing a, a tool that allows some of that curation to be done for them, but then also gives them a way to organize it in a way that's most meaningful to them. All right. So what did what did you land on when you guys were doing this? And I think that's actually I know you just it sort of rolls out of off your tongue when you talk about. Well, and we also looked at how people are just consuming information and, and sort of aggregating this content. I don't know if that would have been. I don't know if everybody in your position would have thought about doing that outside of, I think the medical records and understanding that, that sort of patient data relationship and care and, and provider relationship. I think that makes sense. But you sort of say that like, well, that was just what we did, but I don't know if everybody would be doing that. So that leads me to ask you, when did you know, or when did you, was there a moment when you woke up and said, I'm an entrepreneur? Oh, Gosh, no, that's so funny. I, I don't think I realized. Um, well, first of all, I didn't even really know that word. Like when people said entrepreneur be told. <laughs> before, <laughs> before education modified, um, I, I remember the day where I was like, oh, entrepreneur. Oh, yeah, I guess that's what I'm doing. And that was like two years later after two <laughs> after, years later. Yes. Yes. What what had um, happened two years later that made you that you almost felt like you had either graduated or you had moved to a different sort of room in the house? 
Yeah, no, I mean, we, we physically did. Um, we, uh, my co-founder and I ended up leaving our, our teaching positions and, and getting into an accelerator program in Boston. Um, and that's when, you know, someone called us, oh, these are the entrepreneurs of education modified. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And I, I had to, I literally had to Google the word entrepreneur. Um, be like, okay, yeah, that's what we are. Oh, it's not an insult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at what point did you feel comfortable with? What point does that, did, did you feel a sense of pride when you would hear that? Um, yeah, definitely being part of, um, an accelerator program that, you know, sort of defined entrepreneur for us as someone who's trying to solve a problem in, in education. You know, um, it's not necessarily just about starting a business. Um, it was, you know, about, about really solving a problem. And, and that's definitely when we, you know, I think both, yeah, felt pride in, in that um, sort of role. Um, one of the best lessons that we, or I, I believe we were taught in, in the accelerator program was that, you know, in K to 12 education, you, you can't just be providing like vitamins or, or even Advil, right? Like you have to be providing like morphine, right? Like you have to be really solving actual problems that, that are, you know, really big problems um, in order for, for you to make it in K to 12 education as a company or as a business. And that was something that I really took to heart and um, yeah, still, still do today. And, and so now, you know, we're, we're a few years into education modified and, and here's one thing I'm wondering when I work with graduate students um, in business schools, one of the things that seems to be a common thread or concern is this notion that, gosh, I wonder if I'm going to maintain the passion for whatever my idea is in three years, in five years? And how do I know that I, in essence, picked the right path? Now, I feel like generations are sort of between two floors on an elevator, right? We've got sort of, you know, the gray hairs or the, you know, like my generation where we understand hierarchy and that we were kind of, we were, that's the world that we knew you kind of worked your way up. Well, that's all been sort of destroyed and it's become this very flat world where you've got an idea, you can go after it, right? You can collapse timelines. But I think also the, the sort of backside of that is, did I make the right decision? Did I have, did I give myself enough time to breathe, like sort of letting a wine breathe before you pour it? And so how do you understand for yourself the competitive nature of being an entrepreneur that I think, you know, sort of the juices get flowing and how do you maintain sort of this, this balance of energy and passion to make sure that in essence you're doing okay and the same for your co-founder as you're building something that is making a difference? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it is always going back to, um, you know, the, the user and, and our customers. Um, one thing that I still, um, you know, am, am involved in on the day to day is our customer success team and, and leading and managing that team and really understanding, um, you know, Every week I'm on calls with current customers of, you know, hey, what are your, what are your needs? And hey, how's Edmod working for you? Or, you know, how, how are your teachers reacting to, you know, this new feature that we rolled out or, or whatever? And so it's making sure I'm really staying in touch with that and keeping my finger on the pulse of that. Um, and one of the things that Alyssa is my co-founder's name and I had sort of committed to at the beginning which really did not um, stay true today because of COVID, but um, we're hoping to get back to is, is, you know, staying in touch with, with schools and, and being in schools and, you know, making sure that we're um, still really close to what's happening on the ground. Um, one of the things that we first observed when sort of entering the ed tech world, um, and we were in New York City at the time, was, 
you know, a lot of people building ed tech solutions had had never been in the classroom. They had never taught a single day in their life. And that's like a really huge. Um, that's an eye opener, isn't it? Yeah. And so we were like, well, wait, 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 that will never work in a New York City classroom. And they're like, how do you know? I'm like, well, because I've been in one for nine years. <laughs> because I know it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we we sort of made that commitment at the very beginning of like, hey, we're going to stay in touch with our customers. We're going to run professional development ourselves. We're going to go in, into schools and make sure we're talking to principals and talking to teachers and special ed directors and, you know, all of that. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's how we definitely stay uh, grounded, but also stay true to that passion and that mission. Every time I get off a call with, you know, a teacher or a special ed coordinator, you know, I had a call this morning, it immediately invigor- invigorates me to go back to me like, okay, we can solve a problem for them. This is how we can help. So let's, let's dive into that problem. Let's now let's go into the logistics, I guess, um, or the nuts and bolts of education modified. Um, if I'm a special ed coordinator, give me the why, uh, relative to why I should care to take the call from you about education modified. What problem are you solving? What are you seeing in the space? What needs to be done? Uh, and how does education modified fit into that? Yeah, absolutely. So we think that, that sounds like a request for a pitch, doesn't it? Here? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but I'm not. I'm not going to sit down. I'm going to try to paint paint a picture here. Um, so if you look at if you look at sort of a hierarchy like a triangle, um, and my my CTO developed this um, sort of framework for us to think about. Um, it wasn't even myself or my co-founder, but if you think about this triangle, um, at the very base of that triangle is this you know the triangle of hierarchy is the access to information um, about individual students' needs, and so today like. You know, as of this week, there are still schools where we talk to the special ed coordinator who says, I don't even know if my general educators know who in their class has a special need. Never mind what that special need is or how they don't even know. Yeah. Like there are still, you know, teachers who say, well, I didn't know that student had an IEP or I didn't know that student had a 504. And that's simply because of the, the information that is about that student either lives in a million different places or is trapped in an antiquated system that is very hard to have access to. So as a teacher, I need the access to that information um, multiple times throughout my day and throughout throughout my workflow. So I'm making lessons, I'm grading assignments, I'm, you know, planning for curriculum, I'm making assessments, like all of that. I need to, to have access to that information at all so- those different times. It is so scary, Melissa. I mean, it feels, you know, if you and I were uh, keynote speakers or we were consulting, you know, we would want to know our audience. I mean, that's the basic right. thing that yeah. we would want. I mean, I exactly. my my parent hat goes on and I say, OK, so if teachers don't have this information, the basic information of who has an IEP or a 504, well, how in the world are, am I as a how is an educator going to understand how that child consumes the information Right. How to best support them. How am I even going to assess what they're doing in the classroom from a position of, I don't know, maybe accuracy? I mean, that, right. that, this feels like a dirty little secret that needs to be out there in that regard that it, I'm not getting a sense from you that this is just in a handful of schools or districts, that this is something that is pervasive throughout the U.S. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it is currently the special education team's job to keep everybody else informed. Whether that's the the general education team, the curriculum team, and and it's a nobody's fault, right? 
It's just the way the system was created. And that is in that there was a compliance document that was, you know, sort of leveraged as a, a tool when it's it's really not. And so we put all of this focus on, you know, the IEP and the 504 for compliance, right? And checking the boxes and which compliance is super important. It's a safeguard for for parents and for families, but it's not an instructional tool for, for teachers and for staff. And so, yeah, I mean, we talk to districts all the time where, you know, general education teachers don't have logins to the IEP systems and it's up to the special ed team to make sure everybody has the right information and the updated information and they have, you know, they share it in a million different ways, whether it's they're making their own spreadsheets or just creating Google documents or binders, <laughs> files, Um yeah, it's, it's, it is still very pervasive, uh, to this day. And, um, that is sort of the baseline, right? So going back to that hierarchy, that triangle, the very first step before we can even talk about, you know, improving, uh, special education or closing achievement gaps, we're just talking about that bare minimum access to, to information. And so, okay, so I'm going to take a, a leap here. <laughs> education modified basically solves that is what I'm hearing from you is that basically you're opening up you're the API. Let's use some ed tech jargon here. You're, you've got APIs that connect the people to the information that allows them to then conduct the work that will help support the student at the end of the day. Is that fair? Uh, yes, except for the word API, because most <laughs> those compliance systems don't actually have sure. the ability of doing that. But yes, we we take that information and we um, allow teachers to have access to it in a way that is um, directly within their workflow. They can access it at any time. They don't have to be bothering the case manager or searching through their spreadsheets or email or, you know, files, um, paper documents. And yeah, we, we give it to them in a way that is not only accessible, but then usable. What's the feedback that you get from those that have implemented uh, EdMod in and what they have found, are there surprises to them outside of, okay, now we have the, we have created open channels of communication, which allows for sort of real time and current, um, applications of, of, of response and intervention and support. So what are we hearing from folks that are utilizing EdMod, um, you know, sort of after they've been in it for a little bit of, of time? Yeah, definitely. We, we hear, um, you know, it definitely streamlines all of that for them, right? The, I think the most common thing that we ha- we hear is like, it's all in one place now, right? It's this one stop shop. At least it's all in one place. And then we can move on to the other things of, you know, uh, improving our collaboration or co-teaching, um, you know, differentiated instruction. I think the other thing that we hear that is surprising to us is that schools then get to decide how they want to use EdMod, right? So this whole idea of like, we don't, you know, um, I saw a really great um, thing on LinkedIn the other day where it's like, you never know how people are going to use your product, right? And so same way with with this data, like we don't even know how teachers could use this data if they had access to it. And that's part of what really excites me because again, you know, teaching is an art and a science. And so we're just empowering teachers. Like once they have access to this data, then they can do their jobs, right. And, and, and be, um, you know, impactful in their own ways. And so we hear a lot of different things from customers and saying, oh, we're using, you know, the learning bio in this way or the snapshots in this way or the reports in this way. And they're all different and nuanced based on on the school's needs and the kids that they're working with, uh, which is really exciting. 
And for those that are listening and you're not seeing Melissa and just sort of the, the affect that she brings to the conversation, you can tell this, she's very passionate about this. Um, there's a, there's a steadiness, a rock sort of about you, this, that, you know, you, you are in a position that, that fits you. Talk a little bit about why special education, because I know that you've shared a little bit with me off air just in the why. And I think that's really important because I think that that's probably what drives you to work on the PD, like being still school based in that regard, that this is not just you're solving a problem because it's there. Like there's a leak in the dam. We need to fill that leak. It's no, no, no. I care about this, right, this structure in that regard. So give us a, a brief background in why special education for you. Yeah, I think one was that, you know, again, I mentioned both my parents were teachers. And so that was kind of just the world that I lived in. You know, my both my parents were teachers and coaches. And so I was always, you know, in school with them and at practice and kind of growing up um, in that environment. So it was a very natural sort of path for me. But really special education um, came from the observations with one of my brothers who has uh, a learning disability. And you know, because of my parents and, and their um, profession, they were able to help him navigate um, that whole process. And that was in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, um, in which a lot of people still didn't know about, you know, dyslexia or ADHD. And so um, I became pretty, pretty aware. I was very acutely aware of the fact that if it hadn't been for my parents, that my brother would have could have had a very different trajectory in school and and then in life. Um, you know, we went to a Catholic school growing up. My parents sent us to a Catholic school up the street, um, but we we lived in a in a neighborhood that was um, surrounded and had Section Eight housing across the street. It didn't have parents that weren't were as involved with you know the other kids in the neighborhood and. My brother is now very, very successful in, in his work and in his life and I think is living out his, his potential. Um, but I'm still convinced to this day that if my parents had not been teachers or had been involved in his education when he was in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, that he, he could have had a very different life trajectory. And that is the why, you know, that is the why is the purpose of education is to, allow people to reach their fullest potential, whatever that is. And so, you know, we can't leave it up to, um, you know, society and parents to, to do that without, you know, there, there's just the inequities there, right? If you're a family whose parents don't speak English or, you know, have um, a certain level of literacy or the time to manage, uh, you know, your own child's IEP, well, then the outcomes could be very different. And that is where we really need to make a change in the system in schools. Let's close with this, Melissa. Uh, let's talk about just how you feel, how comfortable you feel being an entrepreneur now. And how do you think about your own trajectory and your own sort of growth plan as a CEO and as a leader and someone who has now to, you know, potentially, I guess, stand in front of investors and customers and clients and pipelines. Um, where are you in your growth? Do you feel like you've just started? Do you, is, does it excite you? Does it keep you up at night thinking about what it means to harness this because of the impact that you can have? Where are you on that path? Yeah, I, I definitely think I'm smack in the middle of it. Um, it's definitely a, a place that I know that I'm meant to be. 
um, you know, it was a very um, sort of clear path that I see going forward um, in, you know, being an entrepreneur and being a CEO. Um, I definitely love the the leadership aspect of it and being able to um, create a company and a culture that is super focused on impact um, and our customers. Um, I think there's so much more that I still have to learn. Um, the learning curve has been has been huge. You know, never mind the word entrepreneur. Um, you know, I had to look up things like pitch deck and investor and fundraise and you know all, all of that type of stuff. Um, so yeah, the learn. I still think I have a, a lot of learning to do. Um, but I think I'm I'm smack in the middle of that, and I think the the path. Um, is still, um, you know, growing an organization that that has um, a lot of impact. Um, now thinking about it, also from you know a company culture standpoint, right? Of having employees that you know uh, work for this organization that they want to have an impact, um, and making sure we're providing a company culture that also fosters that, giving um, people the opportunity to make you know a meaningful difference. And working for Education Modified is also uh, very much on my radar these days. Well, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. You're doing you're doing great work, you and your your team at Education Modified. Where can people find you and Education Modified for those that hopefully are interested in creating more seamless opportunity for educators and the learner uh, to move forward in a, a collaborative fashion? Yeah, definitely. Um, you can find us on, on LinkedIn and on Twitter at educate or at Ed Modified, and then our website is um, educationmodified.com. Well, keep crushing it. Uh, you know, like I said, parents are, are rooting for you. Educators are rooting for you, and, and we need it. Uh, all kids need to have better uh, forms of representation within schools, and I think this is a great example of that. Uh, you've been listening to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.